Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show to our listeners in the United States and around the world. Special shout out to Richard Roberts, my close friend with the embassy in Japan, a real disability rights leader, Gang Yong Cho, in Seoul, South Korea. Love him. Another great disability rights leader and friend, Cheryl Harris from Tunisia who's soon going to be on our radio show. Love you, Cheryl. Uh, Benjamin from Kazakhstan, and who is awesome, and all my wonderful friends in Indonesia, welcome to the show today. About my listeners around the world, I've got to tell you, I have like one listener in Saudi Arabia, hundreds and hundreds in China. It doesn't matter if there's one, one person, makes a difference. Just tell everyone else about the show. And a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Love you, Yoshiko. Lead on. Well, this is going to be a great show today because it is an upcoming event we will be celebrating. And we're going to be talking today about information architecture. But let's start by me introducing our guest for today, Oh, 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 one big thing. Hi, Mark. Thank you for being the lead sponsor. All right. So we have Jennifer Trich-Kremer, who is a senior user researcher from Cigna. Alina Bengert-Lombardi, who is a UX architecture from Confluence. Greg Weinstein, who is the senior accessibility designer at CVS Health. And Jennifer Maza, project consultant for data and analytics for software development from that great company, Highmark Health. All of you, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. Well, actually... Thank you, um, glad to be here. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, So, Jen, let's start with this question. What is World IA Day, because I'll bet a lot of our listeners in the U.S. and around the world may not be familiar with this. So why don't you explain it? Right. I will. One thing I want to give a quick shout out. There are four of us here today on the show, and I'll just give a quick shout out to the others on the committee. Trish Duffy, who's our lead organizer, Anthony Klosky, Jenny Liu, Megan Driscoll, and Celine Insel. And one of our prior organizers, Casey Buchanan-Smith, has been able to join us recently. And it's an absolute dream team committee to, um, to be working together. Um, it takes loads of hours. We start in the summer for our February conference. So it's going to be a really great conference this year. Um, World IA Day is a nonprofit, and it, provi- it provides the foundation for learning about information architecture and Information architecture is a discipline that's devoted to the understanding of how information is structured and how it's understood, um, how it's best organized so that it can be easily accessed for use. And you can hear then the tie-in to accessibility. Um, it's, you know, there's an old saying, a place for everything and everything in its place, right, Joyce? And right. basically 
whether we're designing a website or whether we are um, organizing things around us in our space. It's uh, very much a good discipline and a courtesy to others to think about how folks need to access that information or that thing so that it is most easily accessible for folks without any struggles. Well, and, you know, um, I'm sorry. I was just going to say sure. some of our listeners, they may need a little more clarification on information architecture. So could you maybe make that in basic language terms for them to understand? Like, how does it work? If I would be looking at this information mm-hmm. architect, what, what would I be looking at? What am I doing? Jennifer, do you want to take that? Uh, sure, I would be happy to. Um, information architecture really focuses on how you organize information in your environment. Um, everything from how, how you structure the items in your cabinet you know, what you put on the first shelf, the second shelf, the third shelf, you know, based on usage or you organize them because they're similar foods, that is your own personal information architecture for your cabinets. Um, it seems really simple, um, but we all have these models and structures that we use. And the idea um, of information architecture and design in the world is building a structure that works well and resonates with people so that it's easy for them to follow and to understand how something works so that you don't need a lot of training to be able to go to a website and find a piece of information or, you know, you get into a car and the information within the car, whether it's digital, um, labels, it's organized in a way that is meaningful to you um, so that when you go from one card to the other, it's not a brand new learning experience. Does that help, Joyce? Oh, yeah, that was an excellent explanation. And, Jen, going back to you uh, mm-hmm. about the nonprofit World IA Day, uh, this provides, you said, the foundation for learning about information and architecture. Um, World IA Day, could you talk about that? I know it's one day a year. Uh, what is it? What is World IA Day? And what will be coming up in Pittsburgh? Right. So it's um, celebrated around the world, and there are dozens of cities. I think we had over 60 cities um, one of the prior years. Um, and everybody in the different committees around the world have some sort of event. It could be something small or it could be a full-day event. We in Pittsburgh have one of the more robust days, um, and we have a full eight-hour day of programming, and we're very excited about it. It's got a good mix of uh, keynote speeches. We've got shorter lightning talks. We've got question-and-answer sessions. We have... Uh, panel discussion with Joyce Bender as our moderator, and we're thrilled to have her. And uh, we have workshops, and then we end our day after 5 o'clock with a virtual happy hour as well. And then we have some fun mixed in, like lounges for relaxing or meeting others. And uh, we have morning and afternoon network roulette breaks. And what that is, is it offers a chance to be randomly matched with another World IA Day Pittsburgh attendee for one-on-one attendee networking, and then you get a few minutes to talk to somebody, and you could share 
lessons learned from your job, or you could find out how to get into the field. You could talk to a hiring manager. It's such a good mix. Um, and it, we're, we're excited about the fact that it is virtual because it's giving everyone a chance to break out of our work-from-home isolation, right? Right. Spend some mm-hmm. time on a Saturday to learn some more and share with each other. And this is what yeah. day again? It is Saturday, Saturday, February 27th. So I'm just wondering, if someone is listening to the show right now, they're saying, oh, I didn't know about this. I wish I could go. Can they still go? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We they have, still- um, yes, we'll be sharing the, the link for the event. Um, and we'll have that information um, we can provide for you if you want to put it onto your, um, onto your page, onto your site. Um, and we have a special access code for today, which is Disability Matters as one word, um, and that would give folks uh, the early bird ticket price of $15 for a whole entire day of programming, which is a fantastic price. Um, the link, I could... I could tell it now. It's Excel Events, which is A C C E L E V E N T S dot com forward slash E forward slash W I A D P G H. And we can repeat that again later in the show. Yes, let's do that. Uh, just so, it, well, that is so exciting that you could be anywhere yes. since it's virtual. You could be anywhere and attend this. That's absolutely right. Yeah. We'll yes, and I, I am. I will put open. this on my. I will put this okay. on my website, but I'll also get it out to uh, other groups because I think this is such a great thing. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Jen, was there anything else that you wanted to say, Jennifer, about uh, when I asked that question? What is information architecture? Well, one neat example uh, to build upon what, what Jennifer has already said is uh, the idea, for example, of going to a public library. Um, I'm thinking pre-pandemic days, of course. But So if you were to go to the library and ask to borrow a book, um, you do expect that that book is easily found, right? You would never expect that the librarian is going to search floor by floor and room by room, right? But it's only by that organized, structured um, discipline of how to categorize books by genre and then by last name of the author, that sort of thing, which makes it so predictable to find, right? It's a good example. Oh, that's a good example. Um, so here we are, we're talking about all this, and there could be people listening and saying, well, how does this impact me, or why should I care about this? Why is this relevant to me? Uh, and I'm going to ask Alina if she would mind answering that question. Why should people care about this, Alina? I would love to. As uh, both examples that were mentioned, whether it is your kitchen cardboard or if it's in the library or a website, Information architecture is truly everywhere. There are so many types of roles who practice information architecture in, in one form or another, and some people may not even know that they're actually doing the information architecture in practice. Um, it, it, 
being it's something that is thoughtfully considering when you're thoughtfully considering information architecture or the structure and layout of a site or an application, um, it gives um, it, even a PAR presentation how you structure that. It can really impact the efficiency and quality of your work, and it really can make a difference on the audience. So um, making information more easily accessible really empowers and helps people who need it, um, and um, which kind of leads also to accessibility. You know, not not relying on information um, on, on visual cues, but rather on the order information of how the information is presented, can really in a logical and linear layout can really help someone who may not have all the um, all the, those visual cues available, but still understand and um, really take in the information the way you would like it to be presented to them. Uh, and yeah, so people should really care about information architecture because. It's the message that um, that is received that counts, and so it's important to uh, deliberately send that message in such a way that is digestible and understood, um, as such as information architecture. Well, thank you very much. I love these examples you're using because it's so much easier to understand uh, this when people speak in people terms versus techie terms. So thank you for explaining it that way. Um, Greg, I myself wanted to know the answer to this question. How does this relate? Because if I'm right, you work in the accessibility area. Is that correct, Greg? That's right. Do you work in digital accessibility or what type of accessibility? Uh, Primarily digital. Although uh, okay. working at CVS um, has to do with the stores sometimes as well. Okay. Um, so, how does this relate to accessibility? Well, information architecture and accessibility, I think, are really very closely related. Um, because how information is structured and presented uh, to a large extent dictates who can use it and how they can use it. And conversely, um, what information we choose to provide uh, makes an experience more or less accessible. So, um, you know, to give you an example, um, in the last year, there's just been tons of data about COVID, transmission rates and hospitalization rates and all of these uh, different things. And um, you could take that data, you could present it in a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet, and some people would be perfectly fine with that. But um, I think many of us have probably seen various uh, data visualizations using that data, which are you know, colorful and interactive, and um, take that uh, really complex data and present it in a way that those of us who are not, say, statisticians can understand. Um, but what, uh, um, what happens for somebody who is blind and wants to get that information as well? Um, those data visualizations are not always uh, presented in an accessible way. So uh, then we need to think differently about how we make that information useful to somebody who interacts with the computer in a different way. Or to give you another example, um, uh, if you're using a mapping app, um, and you are blind. Um, you know, you, if you can't see on the screen where your grocery store is and you want to go to the Giant Eagle and you want to go to the one that's closest to you, all you have is a list. 
you need to have uh, a, uh, the distance of the different options read out to you as you use your screen reader to go through the list, because otherwise you won't be able to figure out um, which one is closest, whereas uh, a sighted person would just look at the map and see the one that's closest. We need to make the information uh, available in the appropriate way for um, uh, people with disabilities so that they can have the same experience as everyone else gets to have. Wow. Uh, now, this conference this year since we're talking about accessibility, how is it going to be made accessible for people with disabilities? Um, well, will I mean, all the, for the, example, will, will all the content be accessible? Will there be captioning? Yes, uh, the whole conference is going to be captioned. Um, it's go we have um, some pre-recorded material that will have captions on it, um, closed captions on it in advance. We also have hired a live captioner for the day of the event, so everything that's happening in real time will also be captioned. Well, that's exciting. And I also see that you are uh, supporting different languages uh, from Chinese to Hebrew to Arabic. Why I love that is that I can share that. Just today, I did a Zoom presentation on, as everyone listening knows, I'm a woman living with epilepsy. I am the CEO and founder of Bender Consulting Services uh, and co-founder of iDisability Software Product. But um, I'm all about the employment of people with disabilities. So I'm very known in this area. Uh, so if an embassy somewhere in the world is requesting an expert on the employment of people with disabilities, they frequently ask me to go to the country. Well, obviously, with COVID, I cannot go to the country. So Tunisia and Libya both ask me, of course, these are separate events, to do a presentation for them on the employment of people with disabilities. And as we were, I was looking at this, I was remembering that only 10%, I think, of the population in Libya speaks English. They speak Arabic. So this is really, um, you know, this is really good because people, as you said before, around the world will be listening to this. Um, so really, anyone can answer a question I have right now. When did this really take off? I mean, when did this become a thing people cared about? Jen, you want me to take a stab at that one? You can. I do know that it's the sixth year here in Pittsburgh, um, but you can add to that, Jennifer. Thank you. Sure, yes. Uh, sixth year for the actual event in Pittsburgh. Um, World IA Day itself has been around for a number of years, but not, this isn't new. This has always been built into uh, the work about how do you design a system, an environment, a space to fit the user. This was always a component of that, but over the years, it has evolved into its own specialty um, 
that really appreciates the nuances of how having a clear structure um, supports building out a, an experience, whether it's a digital experience on a computer or the experience of being inside your car. Um, just like when a, a house is being built, you need your architectural diagram that tells you where everything's going to be and what size it's going to be. That's what the information architecture does. It gives you that diagram of how uh, things should be put together. And so, is this then in the IT department of the company or no? Because when you talk about this, I think of database, I think of uh, a data architecture Mm -hmm. where all the information is stored. How is it different than that? Mm -hmm. Greg, maybe you can tell me that. Well, um, that's part of uh, information architecture for sure. But um, really, it's uh, the responsibility and a part of the, the work of any of us who work in, in design, among other things, is um, making sure that, um, making sure that uh, we're building experiences that um, people can use in the way that they um, need to be able uh, to use them. Um, you know, we're going back to the accessibility of information architecture again. Um, you know, I can think of uh, many examples, uh, including ones I, I, I've already mentioned today, that, um, you know, how it's very easy to um, figure out what is the right information that people need and to, but to give it to them in a way that's not accessible or that's not appropriate to them. And conversely, um, you can make something, uh, um, inaccessible, um, but have the most useful information there. And those are things that, those are not just for our IT departments or whatever. Those are issues that as a, a visual designer or a, a, an interface designer or anything like that, we need to be thinking about that to be that um, user-centric so that everyone is able to interact with whatever it is we're building, whether it's a, you know, a, um, a, a car or an app or anything um, in between. Oh, that's a great example. Sure, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to say that it it also plays a role in navigation. Um, And I don't mean like car navigation. I mean website, for example, navigation or app navigation. So just recently um, for a project I'm on, I had to uh, conduct what's called a tree test, which is I I took all the information, um, how it's laid out on the app, and I basically created a site map of how the... um, how yeah, the light, the app is laid out. So if you start from the home page, what are you select one thing and you get to the next and to the next. And the tree test allowed me to understand: Are people able to the information that's presented? Are they able to locate the, their final destination, their final the <coughs> task? So, for example, um, going from the home page to the third layer of the tree of the you know site map and and finding the results that they need. And so even that can be something that, like, we get to do, which I enjoy as part of being a user experience designer. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a very good uh, example. And you know what this reminds me of? is when you were saying how it all started, it reminds me of universal design. You know, how it went from, uh-huh. you know, where everything has to be uh, accessible 
it reminds me of how that went from that, you know, in different directions, and this is one of them. So it really is uh, something that I feel everyone should be interested in, and that's why this conference, and how about that it's in Pittsburgh? That's even better, because if you're listening to the show, guess what? I reside in Pittsburgh, even though our satellite is in Arizona, where I bet they don't have snow flying around the way we do here in Pittsburgh, PA. But this is where the conference will be, and that is so awesome, since we have Carnegie Mellon uh, and the Pittsburgh Technology Council and so many other uh, groups here that I know will be really excited. So... And this year, um, because uh, normally, you know, it's in person in Pittsburgh, but this year it's virtual, so Jen will mention it at the end, but um, basically, tie back to Pittsburgh, um, if you purchase your ticket today with that discount um, and you join us, a uh, portion of your ticket will actually be donated to a local charity, which Jen will mention at the end of the call, so, uh, of the talk, so just wanted to mention that that's how this year we're tying it back to Pittsburgh, um, and also a lot of our speakers... Some of our, most of our speakers are local as well, so that's kind of a nice touch. How much is it to register today? Sorry, how much? What? Uh, it, uh, it's the early, early uh, current dis- current price is twenty dollars, but the early discount, which will be um, available today for you for the listeners, is fifteen dollars. So you do save. Wow, and that's access is disability matters, right? Correct. Yes, the access code is Disability yes, Matters, written as one word. That's right. Okay. And Does it have to be lowercase? Uh, case does it's, not matter. Okay. And, Joyce, the other thing we did for your listeners is because this will be rebroadcast, I think about 12 hours later, we're actually leaving that code available for um, until... 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. So even if people are listening to your broadcast uh, the second time, they will still have access uh, to tickets at that 15, do- 15 U.S. dollar price. Okay. That is so awesome. Thank you. That's great. Well, I'm going to ask each of you uh, to give me an example, All, uh, each one on the show, uh, I, I, what you have learned. What have you learned at WIAD conferences, uh, I mean, what has impacted you? What have you learned from it? And we can start with um, Alina. Sure. Um, so I, this is my third year planning, uh, being on the committee, and, and, and I've attended about four of these conferences in Pittsburgh. And one that really stuck with me, uh, one of the talks, so all of them are very interesting and um, the lightning talks, uh, as mentioned, are usually a, a quick 15-minute talk, and a keynote is usually the 45 minutes. Of course, panels are, um, you get to hear a bunch of people's opinions and not, or thoughts into, into a topic. And one lightning talk by uh, Carolyn Johnson in 2018 uh, was called Designing with Vic- Wicked Intent. And the idea is that our goal as designers is to really make sure that everything is consumable, intuitive, easy to understand, and that the information is presented in such a way that it, you, don't have to, you, you don't have to learn anything new. You can understand, infer, not make mistakes, 
and, and just complete the task at hand easily. But there's such thing as not bad design, but what I call, would call maybe evil design um, or dark design, she called it. And this is where you purposely organize information in such a way, present it in such a way that can mislead a person to do a task that not necessarily benefits them, but maybe benefits you. So, for example, whenever at the bottom of a lot of these websites there's a checkbox that says, you know, opt-in for emails from us or um, newsletters, what if the checkbox said, if you don't want to get a, a letter from us, go ahead and check the checkbox. And someone who may kind of read quickly may think that typically this is where I opt in, but in this case, um, by checking it, you would be opting out. So it's evil design where they user is getting those emails because they left it blank and they're by default in a way opted in. So that was really, uh, to me, impressive and it made me feel kind of powerful, to be honest, after that talk, um, but also happy that I'm designing for good, not evil. That's, oh, my, that's yeah. my favorite. That, that, is, that is right because, you know, folks can network when they go to these events Hope maybe get new jobs, definitely meet hiring managers. Um, I mean, it is amazing how many things can happen. But even if it's a favorite memory or presentation, which I love that example that you just gave, Jen, how about you? What have you learned? Thanks, Joyce. I've enjoyed every single uh, presentation that I've been a part of, but there's one that especially touched my heart, which was um, in 2019, so a couple years ago, um, Ann Gibson was the presenter, and she had a workshop, and in our room, she had passed out um, flashcards to each of us that have uh, A through Z. It was called Exploring an Alphabet of Accessibility, and it was fantastic, and even when folks when, when, when we in the room consider ourselves to be already great advocates for our family members or for friends who need accommodations, it was a real eye-opener where she was featuring on those flashcards um, a variety of people who are friends and family members of her own who have what might be considered um, an invisible disability. Something that as we design whatever it is that our work is, um, we should be remembering folks who might have a harder time to consume the information um, or use the product. For example, um, if it, I'll, I'll use digital, I suppose, again, if you're designing a website, you need to remember that there are folks who might have something like post-concussion syndrome or uh, recovering from a stroke, or maybe somebody is on chemo. And so things need to be very simplistic and very clear. Uh, eliminate confusion. Don't try to make things cute for, for cute's sake. For example, if somebody, um, somebody might think that a website page looks really cool because it's, you know, a red background and purple printing on top of that. To some people, that might look nice, and to others, that would be an absolute frustration. There's just not enough contrast between the print and the background. Um, that's, an, you know, 
an obvious example there. So um, it just really helped open our eyes to <coughs> even people could have a temporary disability. Somebody might have a broken arm and can't use the keyboard. So can you make your um, your content accessible with tab key or with mouse instead of relying on the keyboard? So um, all sorts of things that so you can really take this to the extreme. There's just so much when you when you really put your mind to it and create design with all people in mind, it really makes a difference. Yes. It's like uh, you can't hear a beautiful right. symphony if all the uh, if all the seats are not filled. Uh, Jennifer, how about you? What what have you <laughs> learned the most? Um, uh, so I actually moved back to Pittsburgh um, uh, two years ago. So I had been gone for about twenty five years, and it has gone through uh, a huge transformation, um, which has been wonderful to see. And it, it's just much more inclusive of a city. And I think the conference is a good example of that because I, you know, joined up with a group of people with similar interests and ended up being on a panel discussion last year for accessibility that was hosted by Greg, um, which is actually what brought me here today. Um, So that experience, being able to sit there and talk with others who are passionate about accessibility, I come at it from the research perspective. So when we come up with the digital solutions and experiences, we want to put them in front of people that may fall into the categories that Jen was mentioning that are just not the average and see how they respond and use that data um, to help improve the experiences. Um, So that made such an impression on me being able to do that that I volunteered to be on the organizing committee this year. Um, So I, I think that speaks positively of this group of people, um, the event, and, and just, again, reinforcing, it includes people from all walks of life and all disciplines. It's not just siloed into data architecture and computer science people, people in psychology, people in marketing, um, just wide variety. And I really appreciate that. Well, that's one thing I've noticed about all of you is gratitude and kindness. And that is that's what makes it successful. It really is. Greg, how about you? And uh, I know you have a link to, I don't know if is this, a, no, it's slides by Hari. Do you want to go over that? Yeah. Um, continuing on with that theme, actually, um, last year, Hari um, Tirupangada from Honeywell gave a talk that made a big impression on me called How to Be Kind Through Design. And it uh, it was a talk about, you know, well, firstly about uh, the process of designing wearable technology for, um, uh, for car mechanics or um, people working on technical things like that. And, uh, uh, but it was really about um, 
learning to uh, um, you know go deep into uh, the experience of somebody else that you uh, um, who may not share your experience, and to make sure that you're designing something that uh, that works for them with their abilities and their needs and uh, all in, in very you know precise and even small ways and just to making your design very uh, very compassionate and you know therefore making kindness uh, an integral part of your design and in fact of your metrics for like how you measure your success so you're not only trying to get something out the door by whatever date but you're also ensuring that um, it treats people well, that people have good experiences when they're using it, that it's accessible, that it brings joy, all of these things that are just as important um, as those, you know, more like those harder, um, uh, uh, harder data that we often think about. Um, yeah, and if you wanted to share that uh, link, we can certainly give you that link to share it so people can watch that presentation from last year. Okay, that would be great. Uh, listen, uh, Greg, while I have you on here, I wanted to ask you, this year, how is this year different from other years? Well, in just about every way you can imagine, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, as, uh, um, this is, as, as Jen said before, this is the sixth iteration of World IA Day in Pittsburgh. And it's, of course, due to the pandemic, it's going to be the first time that we're holding the conference online. Um, and that comes with uh, a lot of challenges and it comes with some opportunities as well. You know, a lot of people um, are not necessarily as excited about online conferences as uh, in person. Um, I certainly count myself among those. Um, you know, I, I find uh, in-person events to be really exciting to be able to be in a room with uh, um colleagues from different places. But um, there's also opportunities that you have when you design an online event where you can um, uh, remove geographic limits so that anyone from anywhere in the world can attend this event. And you expand access for people because it's, uh, because it's online. So people who couldn't come in person, people who are not necessarily comfortable coming to in-person conferences or would prefer uh, events to be online, well, this is an opportunity to create something that's more inclusive uh, for, for them as well. And we, in our planning activities, we've done a lot to try and, um, <clears throat> to try and keep the... Um, and keep all of the, the networking and interpersonal activities going on, the talks that we always have, but also to make it, um, uh, <clears throat> make it uh, you know, fun as a, as a remote event as well, to be able to do networking, to be able to um, uh, make it accessible by having captions for, for people who um, might not, uh, who, uh, for whatever reason, might not be able to, to listen to the presentations um, uh, through audio. So there's a lot of opportunities here, and we're hoping that it's going to be, um, you know, just as exciting an event, even if it is quite uh, quite a bit different from what people may have come to expect in, in past years. Well, let's face it. The whole world is different, right? <laughs> so one good thing, That's right. being that you're an IA, I expected this to be, um, you, you know, certainly put together better than some of the other events where they don't understand accessibility and technology. But um, I tell people, 
choose something like a podcast where you're going to really learn something or get something out of it and or have a great time. So here we go. We have all of it with uh, this event that we're having in Pittsburgh. And I know that you mentioned that you will be giving back or engaging the Pittsburgh community. How, how are you doing that? How is that happening? Thanks. This is Jen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't feel that great. My throat is a little funny, so I apologize. That's all right. Um, we, yeah, so we are uh, always careful to um, purchase our goods or services locally um, for in-person events. And then this year, uh, we're donating a portion of every ticket sale to uh, a company that we're very proud of, which is 412 Food Rescue. And what a great group they are. What their mission is, is matching food, uh, recovering food that would otherwise go to waste and connects it very quickly to people who need it. So food can be recovered from a restaurant or from a local grocery store, uh, catered event, and connected to um, a food bank or a homeless shelter, for example, or to individuals. And uh, their motto is, good food belongs to people, not landfills. It's shocking to see the statistic that 40% of food that is produced um, ends up wasted. That's just a terrible, a terrible thing. And 412 Food Rescue, 412 is the area code here in Pittsburgh. Um, and because of its popularity and the awards that the company has been winning, because of its mission and its uh, very effective logistics system, uh, there's also um, Food Rescue Hero, which is in other cities as well. Um, I think there have been just millions of meals connected to people. This would this is food that would have other otherwise been wasted. And so last year when we hosted our conference at Chatham University, we called a food rescue hero who came very quickly and recovered the extra lunches and snacks that we had, and that was a really good feeling. Um, and then this year what we're doing is donating a portion of every ticket sale because we are digital. You know what? Kudos to all of you. You know, a lot of people don't think about that part, you know, the giving back. So, hey, if you're Mm -hmm. listening right now, these are my kind of people. I would really, really check this out. Um, Website again. What is the website for people to go to? It's, I mean, uh, if they want to go to this Excel. event. Sure. It's excelevents.com forward slash E forward slash W-I-A-D-P-G-H. Okay. And I'll get that on, on my website and some social media. Uh, but as I said, these are my kind of people right here. So let me ask you this. Uh Jennifer and Alina, why do you feel people should attend this event? Um, This is Jennifer. A few things that I'd like to highlight is we have amazing content, um, not just to learn uh, new topics, but to also engage with others. 
Um, I know it's not ideal, it's not in person, but encouraging those opportunities to talk with like-minded people um, and learn from each other, I always encourage that. Um, what is really cool is the inventor of World IA Day, Abby Covert, is actually delivering our keynote talk, and she's also offering an in-person uh, moderated Q&A with our group, and she doesn't uh, do that every day for us in Pittsburgh, so we're really excited um, to have her available and you know give people the opportunity to listen to her talk and then ask her questions afterwards. Um, Alina, you want to highlight some of the others? Sure, yes. And um, and as I mentioned earlier, we are we're having a lot of other content, such as lightning talks. And so all of our lightning talk speakers are going to be um, later in a panel discussion session that will be moderated by Joyce herself, which we're excited about. So thank you, Joyce, for that. Um, and as mentioned, there's going to be a networking roulette, so that's a way to be able to continue the conversations from the different talks and, and interact with people. And this is what's great about this year. Because it's virtual, because there's no, you know, walls, um, and anybody from anywhere can join, I'm excited to go and meet people from all over the world who are like-minded or different-minded and interested, um, it, it, whether it is in entering this field or are way more experienced than me in the field or just not even in the field at all, just having those conversations, I'm very looking forward to that. Uh, one last thing I'll say is that there's always swag, which I love. So uh, what I mean by <laughs> swag, obviously, um, is ability to win. So we are giving out copies of um, Abby Covert's book, um, Signed, and where also there is global swag. So as we mentioned, we're not just the Pittsburgh World Day Day, we're part of a global celebration around the entire world, different countries, and so the global World Day Day uh, folks do provide some global prizes as well. I believe they're e-prizes this year. So there's going to be an opportunity to also take something home with you from not just in, in important insight and inspiration, but also maybe some physical gift surprises. So that, I, I just like that always. Oh, that is so great. And by the way, if there is a mug, a pen, or anything like that involved, or even a bookmarker, I don't care what it is. Don't forget about me, because I am not going to forget <laughs> about World IA Day. Uh, so, Jen, what are you going to do with the funds that sponsors are going to have or will be giving you to become a sponsor? Right, thanks. And I'll give uh, a thank you to Joyce, um, who uh, is a generous sponsor with Bender Consulting, and we have plenty of other sponsors as well. And one thing that speaks to um, the excitement that we have with our event and how it just builds upon itself each year is that we have many repeat sponsors and repeat attendees. It really is something that people look forward to each year. Um, something that we um, are planning to do um, is afford the transcribed captioning, right? So we're planning to offer that live captioning, which is um, is not cheap. And uh, so, in fact, that's how I connected back to Joyce. Joyce and I knew each other years ago working for the same IT consulting company, and I've been a f uh, follower following her uh, advocacy work ever since, and Joyce is an absolute rock star when our committee a few months ago was talking about 
gee, can we afford this and this, you know, and these different layers of making this whole uh, eight-hour content accessible, um, I thought, you know who I'm going to, to reach out to, and it was Joyce Bender. And so um, this is one of the things that we're doing with our funding. Another thing is we're offering discounted tickets to students for $10, and then um, the general admission is $20 until the Friday before the 26th. Um, and then we're offering the $15 early bird tickets, um, as Jennifer had mentioned, until almost midnight tomorrow uh, with that Disability Matters access code. And then also, if anybody is experiencing a financial hardship, we also want them to attend the event. So we're offering a, a courtesy ticket for free. If somebody would email us and our... Um, our address is Pittsburgh, written out, P-I-T-T-S-B-U-R-G-H, at worldiaday.org. And we would be happy to help somebody to attend this event because we're just so excited to share the content. It's going to be fantastic. Joyce, thank you so much for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure, and this sounds like a great day, and I'm honored to be part of it. And just one more time, when is what day is the event for all of our listeners? What day, what time? It is Saturday, February 27th, and we start with um, 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time. And we end our uh, day with a virtual happy hour at 5.05 p.m. And as you can see, for something where um, it's just the networking and the learning, um, it's an absolute discount. Oh, this sounds awesome. Awesome. I mean, if if somebody has one case away, they've won. Yes. We end every show with a quote, and this is Black History Month. So... Our quote today is, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor, said Desmond Tutu. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week as we continue our celebration of Black History Month with Bob James, Diversity and Inclusion Officer from Highmark. Talk to you all then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. <laughs>